well, I don't know about me, you, but I could almost feel like I could go home now and, or at least, well, go out and eat some cake, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but we support Abe and Diane not only directly from our faith promise giving, but we also support them by the money we send to the, the denomination headquarters in Canton. Uh, we send money there, our, our regular uh, Great Commission giving that we do, and part of their money goes to also support Abe and Diane. And so we are, we are thrilled to be... Um, um, Supporting them for many years. You know, it's interesting that I think it's going back to Jack, it's, I don't know, 20, 30 years been supporting them from here. And I think we've kept it about the same support the whole time. Now, you know, $100 a month doesn't pay by today what it did 40 years ago, you know, and especially in Ukraine. But, they, but God has just blessed them and given them new, new people, new supporters. And so we're thankful for, for what God is doing with the little bit that we have supported them uh, over the years. But today we are still in our, and, and halfway through our series, God is Stranger. And today we actually are looking at this man that uh, you know probably very well, one of the more popular, famous characters in this Bible. And it's this, this man, this king called David. Now we're moving from where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've been in the period of the judges where the Israel was ruled by judges. Now we are ruled, moving into a period where Israel is ruled by kings. And there were basically three kings that were significant major during the time that the kingdom Israeli the kingdom of Israel was united. There was Saul and then there was Solomon and in between was King David. David was the great-great-grandson of Naomi, who we talked about last week, which would make him the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz, the grandson of Obed, and the son of Jesse. And so we see David here, and David has a reputation that precedes him. In fact, if you go back to 1 Samuel 17, of course, we, we think of the one event we all pretty much know, even if you haven't been in church, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. And how David uh, slew that giant through the power of the Lord and through a little pebble and a slingshot. But you know what's interesting? He said before then, even when he's talking to Saul, and Saul was saying, how are you going to do this, David? And he said, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. God's, God's with me. He said, you know, I, I've taken on a bear. I've taken on a lion. Uh, when, when, when they've come to take one of my father's uh, sheep, I just grab him by the jaw and I wrestle him down and I kill him and slay him. And, and he said, this Philistine, this giant Goliath, who is an enemy of God. An enemy of God. An enemy of the Lord's army. I can take care of him because I know who is with me. And it proved to be the true because after he became king, the, the, the kingdom expanded. The foreign nations who were enemies of God, some of those foreign nations you may recognize, the Philistines, the Jesurites, the Gerzites, the Malachites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, the Mosquitoites, all those, you know, <laughs> you know, just all those bites, and all those nations, all of them fell before David. All of them fell before David. What a mighty warrior. What a mighty man of God. But we see today a different David. And in fact, we find ourselves looking back here now at a time in David's life where he's troubled and he's angry. And we come to a time in David's life where really he's looking at not the God who is there, not the God who is powerful, not the God who's sustaining, but the God who used to show up. The God who used to show up. 
Have you ever longed for the good old days? Not just in your life when, when maybe things were better, but boy, when God was more, more fresh in your life, when God, was, when God was more real, it seemed like, any of those things that, you know, I, I remember when God used to show up. I remember when, when great things used to happen in revival, and, and David was kind of like that. He says, I, I, I remember God, but, but, but. He'd been 40 years of king, as king, and he had seen it all the good times and the bad times. And we don't know for sure, but those who try to date these psalms uh, try, today suggest that this psalm and the psalm we're in is Psalm number 69, if you want to look it up in your Bibles there as we go through, that it might have likely written near the end of his rule, near the end of his life. And the presence of God has seemingly, seemingly been replaced by trouble. So let's pick it up, Psalm 96. I'm reading today out of an NLT version. It says this, the first three verses. Save me, O God, for the flood waters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying out for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. The cries of a man who's drowning, drowning. The waters are coming in. You say, well, if the waters are coming in, get out, David. He says, I can't get out. I'm stuck. I'm in like quicksand. So I'm in quicksand. I can't get out. The waters are coming up. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. My throat is parched from crying for help. I could just use a drink of water. And it says, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. I do notice, though, as he reads this, he's not just waiting for anything. He just doesn't even say, I'm waiting for God. He says, I'm waiting for my God, my God. So even in his trials, even in his crying out, he hasn't abandoned his faith. He hasn't let his feelings affect his faith and the fact that he is one of God's children. And then in verse 4, we discover a little more reason for David's anguish. He says this, Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Now, if he was older, maybe he had lost a lot of his hair. I don't know. But uh, many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. And so we get to see a little bit of what David's real issue is here. His real issue, although there were circumstances that weren't bad, weren't probably good, there was, there was problems in his life, his real issue was with people. <laughs> his real issue was with his enemies. His real issue was with those who were, who were, for some reason, tormenting him. He says, they hate me with no good reason. Have you ever felt that way? He says, they're, they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're more than enough, the hairs on my head. And they lie about me with an intent to harm me. His problem isn't so much with God. When he cries out here, he's not crying out, you know, with God, you. But he's saying, God, them. Have you ever prayed that lie? <laughs> I got to admit, there's been times since I've prayed, God, that person. God, that person. God, that person. That's what David is doing. And yet, 
Even though, like we may do, he's complaining a little bit here. He's, he's saying, God, I need your rescue. I'm in terrible shape, and, and these guys are doing this to me. And, it, and you almost get a sense of it's not fair. It's without cause. It, it's, it's not fair. He's still level-headed. He still understands himself a little bit. He's not one of those people who say, I'm perfect, and everybody else is broken. In fact, he says in verse 5 through 12, he says this, Oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. Don't let those who trust in you be ashamed because of me, O sovereign Lord of heaven's armies. Don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O God of Israel. For I endure insults for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Passion for your house has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the favorite topic of town gossip. And all the drunks <laughs> sing about me. Pretty sad state, wouldn't you say? He says, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I really don't deserve this. And then he kind of cries out, you know, I, not only do I deserve this, but I'm really concerned about the impact this might be having on others. That there might be other followers of God who are looking at me, and for some reason I'm, I'm being a poor example, or they're saying, they're believing what people are saying. It says that these folks, these enemies of God, are going to draw them away because of me, and Lord, I don't want that. He's crying out. And then he cries out, he says, you know my hardships, you know my sins. And apparently everybody else does too. <laughs> and he says, I've even become a stranger to my brothers. Not only, not only at this point was God a stranger to David, but so was his family. A broken family. So was his brothers. So were those who were closest to him had become strangers. They mocked him. And he was humiliated. And the question comes, what terrible thing had David done? What terrible thing at this point was leading to David feeling like this? It's interesting as we read through this, apparently, apparently the terrible thing that he had done was he was passionate about God. He said, it's the zeal for God's house has consumed me. The zeal for God's house has consumed me. When they have insulted me, they're really insulting you. When they're insulting you, your insults are falling on me. As you read through David, throughout his life, with his mistakes, with, with the errors that he made, there was always a passion for God. And we see this passion at one point to even build a temple and he was told, no, you, you can't build a temple. That's your son's duty. But, but David's passion for God's house never went away. If he was here today, we might call him a Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, that David, he's a, he's, a, he's a Jesus freak. He's one of those sold out, 100 percenters, the totally committed. And for some reason, 
This is tended to rub some people the wrong way. And the reason is, identified clearly, is because these folks are enemies of God. They don't like what they see in the lives of someone who is totally sold out, totally passionate, 100% committed. The zeal for God's house consumes me. That's what's David. I was thinking about that as I was reading this past week, knowing we had missionaries here and just some other things across my desk of people. You know, certainly we look at being, being some persecution here, but people persecuted all over the, the world. Christians persecuted not because they're doing bad things, but because of their passion for God, their passion for his house. Through Africa, especially in Islamic-controlled countries and areas, persecution, churches destroyed, lives lost. Throughout Asia, places where, where it, it costs something to be a Christian. And, and we look here and we even see today, clearly we see that being a Christian is not what it used to be as far as reputation and what people think about you. Sometimes you watch the news and you mention you're a Christian and people kind of roll their eyes and it's derision and it's, oh my, what are we going to hear? David says, when they insult you, they insult me. When they insult me, they insult you. And so in the next six verses, we don't have time to, to read through all those, but the next six verses, David just cries out to God. He says, God, come, God, save me. And then verse 13 kind of wraps it up. It's not on the screen. Listen to verse 13 there or read it if you have it in your, in your Bibles. He says, hey, this is his prayer. This sums up his prayer. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at the acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. After all of that, he says, here's the deal, God. In your time, in your time, when you're ready, when it's just right, and in your love, just answer me. Just answer me. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer. God, send me your deliverance. Send me your salvation. Send me your rescue. And if the psalm ended there, it would be so beautiful. David crying out in prayer. David crying out with his needs and then calling on God to rescue and save him. But the next verse says this, verse 19. You see all that my enemies are doing. Their insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. If only one person should show some pity, if only one would turn up and comfort me, but instead they have given me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. So let the bountiful table set before them become a snare and their prosperity a trap. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and make their bodies shake continually. Pour out your fury upon them. Consume them with your burning anger. Let their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. To the one they have punished, they add insult to injury. To the one you have punished, they add insult to injury. They add it to the pain of those they have hurt. Pile their sins on high. And don't let them go free. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. Oh my. <laughs> now this, if you remember back when we first started the series, we said there's certain parts of our Bible that we don't normally highlight in yellow, highlighter, and put a little heart next to it. <laughs> 
there's certain passages we don't stick on our magnets on our on our refrigerators. Uh, poke their eyes out and let them burn. You know that's you know that's uh, or, or you know those type of things. Uh, let their body shake continually. You know, just, I've never really seen that on a bumper sticker of a car, you know, of, uh, of expressing the love of Christ. What's going on here? What is going on with David? You know, some of us might look at this and we might say, wow, how can this be in the Bible? How, how can it, how can this, how can someone calling for this on somebody be in the Bible? And some of us are going, yeah, give them what they deserve. <laughs> you know, you know. It depends on. I think probably depends on how we've grown up or our, our background or something. You know, it's either yeah, give them what they deserve, or this is horrible. I can't. This, 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 this. this I question. I've, there actually are people who question. You know, is is this psalm inspired? Is this part of the? Is this part of the book inspired? What do we do with it? This is what is called in one of the imprecatory psalms. Now, an imprecatory, that's a big word. It simply means it invokes judgment. It invokes a curse. It invokes a rebuke, a calamity. It's, it's somebody calling out and pouring their heart out to God. Like sometimes maybe we tend to do in private when we're very frustrated with somebody. A child who's way past their curfew. When he comes home, I'm going to strangle him. <laughs> well, you're not really going to strangle him. <laughs> you know, I hope every cop picks him up and, you know, no, whatever. No, we really don't. You know, we just, we, we're, we're angry. We see the rawness of David's emotions. We see his authenticity before God, where he's able to just to share. And we notice, though, that David's anger here still is not directed to God. He's in this condition where he's up to his neck in water. He can't breathe. He can't get out of the mire. He says, I'm exhausted. But he's still not angry at God. He's angry at those around him. Angry at those people who are the enemies of God. And so he closes this section with this verse. Verse 29. I am suffering in pain. Rescue me, O God. By your saving power. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. One last cry for help. One last cry for help. Save me. Save me. But destroy my enemies, too. (laughs) Save me, but destroy my enemies. That's what makes, I think, the teachings of the one who would come after Jesus in the line of, after David in the line of David, Jesus, so interesting. So interesting. See, Jesus, when he talked about enemies, had a little different approach than what David did. Jesus came on the scene in the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts saying things like, do not resist those who try to hurt you. Turn the other cheek. If someone strikes you in the right cheek, turn the other. If someone wants your shirt, go ahead and give them your coat also. Go the extra mile. And for Jesus, much like David, this was not theory. This is what happened. For Jesus, he was faced with his enemies, the enemies of God, the enemies of the kingdom. And it's interesting that this psalm, Psalm 69, this terrible psalm, you might think, is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. It's quoted four, five, six times, seven, eight times, if you count the three or four times of the same quote in the various Gospels. 
And, and you never see David being really taken to task for it because he's just pouring out his heart. He's just telling God the position he's in and what he thinks of some people. In fact, after um, clearing the temple, remember that? Jesus came in and his anger for those who were taking advantage of those in God's house. My house should be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. Those disciples that are around him later said, says they remembered what David said in Psalm 69, 9, when he says, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus, like David, was consumed. He was passionate. We know he was 100% sold out. Jesus himself, talking about himself in John chapter 15, quotes Psalm 69, 4, when he says, they hated me without reason. Just like David said, they hated me without reason, Jesus says, they hated me without reason. It was real. And Jesus even went so far as to say, love your enemies. Did you get that? Love your enemies. Now, yesterday, if you were here with our men, Abe was leading us, and, and he was trying to get us to, to, to understand that before you can witness to somebody, before you can win them to Jesus, you got to love them. And so we had 20 men in that room, and Abe would say, yell as loud as you can after me, I love men. <laughs> so we did. I love men. And, and, so, and so he says, louder, and we're up there, I love men. And he said, I love men. And, and I thought, and I was reading this, and I'm thinking, what about my enemies? Can I, can I say that about my enemies? Can you say after me, I love my enemies? I love my enemies. A little louder, a little more convincing. I love my enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love them. Pray for them that persecute you, he said. Pray for them that persecute you. Now, David was praying for those who persecuted him. But I don't think Jesus means the same type of prayer. <laughs> I think Jesus means more like the prayer when he gave us his example of how to prayer, pray. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. I think he means the type of prayer he prayed on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, we cry out and we might cry out in anger and we might cry out and frustration. But Jesus calls us to a different level. In fact, in this book, Kendiah says this statement, while David prayed that God would forgive him and smite his enemies, Jesus prayed that God would smite him and forgive his enemies. That was Jesus' prayer. Lord, forgive my enemies. I will gladly take the abuse, I will gladly take the accusations. I will gladly take everything they throw at me. But David didn't get this all wrong. There is, there is, there is a punishment. There is retribution. There is a payment for evil. There is. It's just, it, it's not David's to hand out. And he knew that. Throughout this psalm, read through this psalm, number once he say, I am going to take this into my hands. He says, God, would you, would you? 
kind of different than James and John that one day when they were getting ready to, and I think it's uh, Luke chapter 9, they were, the, the Jesus and disciples were going to pass through Samaria to go to Jerusalem. And, and the Samarit, Samaritans found out they were going to Jerusalem and said, no, 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 you can't come this way. The disciples came back to Jesus and James and John said, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and just burn them up? <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus rebuked them. I wish they would have said, the Bible would say what Jesus said. <laughs> That's why, when you say you rebuked them, what, what did you really say? I'd love to have been a fly in the wall of that one. What did you say? I think you said, no, no, call down fire? What did I say about loving your enemies and praying for your enemies? In fact, Romans 12, 19 says this. Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Leave room for God's wrath. Let God in his time, in his time, when he's ready, deal with it. Give God space. Give God time. Sometimes God's wrath is not immediate, and it might not be until much, much down the road. But God's wrath is always a last resort. God's wrath is always a last resort. If, if we were in charge of dealing out wrath, you cut, you, you cut in line in front of me at the new Starbucks, God, wrath, <laughs> burn them up. <laughs> yeah, wrath, the wrath is not ours. Wrath is God's, ours is to love. And Paul adds, to feed to give the drink, and then he goes on, and doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It means you will bring shame. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The goal is not to defeat our enemy. The goal is not to destroy our enemy. The goal is to win our enemy. The goal is to win. And let God handle the judgment. That's that's, that's the lesson that Jesus gives us, the expounding he does on this psalm from David, taking it to the next level. But then David, amazingly, after pouring out this ugliness, closes the psalm with a praise to God. Psalm 69, 30. Then I will praise God's name with singing, and I will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all those who seek God help, God's help be encouraged. For the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. Praise him, O heaven and earth, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Jerusalem and rebuild the towns of Judah. His people will live there and settle on their own land. The descendants of those who obey him will inherit the land. And those who love him will live there in safety. David knew that God would hear. There is a confidence that God will show up in his time, in his perfect time, but if we want God to show up and destroy and to take care of, God's wrath is, is, is the last resort. His first resort, his first, his first option is that you and me and others of, of faith reach out 
and love and care, feed, pray for our enemies, those who are enemies of God. He will defend his name. He will, he will have justice. We don't have to worry about that. But Kendiah makes one final statement in chapter 6. He says this of his book. David's memory of a God who turned up in previous days will carry him through to hope in a God who will one day turn up again. God, is, God, I may not see you in this situation now. I may be dealing with these enemies. And I want to, as we close here, just to maybe put those enemies in, put some faces and names to them. Who might, who might in your life be an enemy right now? Who might be somebody who, and, and you know, for David, he said, I'm, I'm a stranger to my brothers. A lot of us have family turmoil, conflict. And many times, now sometimes it's because we may be a jerk and we got to take care of that. <laughs> but sometimes it's because of our faith in Christ and it's because of, of our stance that we've taken. Who is that person? And what's our frustration been? And you know what I kind of like about this story? Is it kind of tells me when I'm talking to God, it's kind of it's okay to say, you know, they really bugged me, God, and, and, um, and I wish they would change and, and, and all this thing. Um, I, I don't, don't call down curses, but, you know, a little, a little righteous complaining <laughs> to God. But once that's done, then our hearts turn to a praise and an adoration that God is going to take care of it. And God will show up. It's all right to cry out to God. It's all right to cry out to God. These psalms are here for a purpose. And Paul wrote that all the scriptures, all the scriptures are there for a purpose. And we see these complaints and we see a little bit of ourselves in them, don't we? That's God's role though. God's role, the other, the other thing to remember is to let God take his role and we should take our role. God's role is vengeance. Our role according to Jesus, is to turn a cheek, to give a coat, to go the extra mile, to love our enemies, and to pray for them. And Paul adds, feed them, give them drink, and do good. Do good. And wait, wait for God to show up. Wait. Wait sometimes is the hardest, time, hardest thing. As I was reading through that, Verse 3 on 69, it says, My eyes are swollen weeping, waiting, waiting for my God to help. Maybe you're in that waiting period today. I encourage you to hang in there. Be patient. Let God in his time take care. Let God in his time bring healing. Let God in his time speak to that enemy. But in the meantime, do what we can do. Let's stand together. Maybe that face, that name has been in your head. As we pray, I just pray that you keep that, that, that face and name right, right there, front and center. Of the person that you need to love, you need to pray for, you need to care for. You need to take some over, some, some food, some cookies, some pie, some, something else. If they're here today, grab them and give them some cake. But love as Jesus loved. And when you complain, complain to God. Don't complain to everybody else. Let's pray. Father, 
that face that might be in front of us right now. I pray that you would, Lord, help us to love them and care for them and serve them. Be Jesus to them. Lord, forgive us where we've maybe been a little bit like James and John and been selfish and thinking that we're the ones to dole out the vengeance, the revenge. Lord, help us to love as Jesus loved. Help us to go that extra mile. And we do it because of our passion for you. Our passion for the body of Christ. Our passion for your house. Out of gratitude, out of praise, out of thanksgiving for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go with us now. Lord, help us to reflect you in all that we say, do, with whoever we meet, but especially those, Lord, who for some reason have become our enemies. Lord, oh, would it be cool to win them, win them to you. Oh, wow, wouldn't that be great? Help us, Lord. Help us, help us as we go today. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Don't forget, cake, say greetings to Dave and Diane. Come back tonight, 5.30, for those who want to hear stories. Go serve the Lord.